Hello and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. I'm here today with Steve and Andy. How are you guys doing today? Great. Glad to be here. Yeah, good. Good to be with you. Yep. It is It is good to be together. Uh, I'm just going to say it because it's always funny. For the listeners who don't know, we actually restarted the podcast because I decided to call Steve uh, Wes. So, <laughs> yeah, we're Identical still learning twins, names over tell? here. <laughs> Identical <laughs> twins. Yeah. You know, if we're if we're if this is going to be, you know, honesty time, well, we should we should probably say because may, maybe listeners would be interested in this, that this is our second attempt at this podcast. <laughs> we, we we've already we've already recorded a, like a week ago. We recorded this podcast and we we're like, you know what? That, that was that was terrible. Yeah, it was it was not good. <laughs> let's yeah. let's just let's just uh, delete that and try again. I think what what would you say, Steve? That that probably has happened about five times in the course of the last nine years. Yeah, it, it's happened quite a number of times, actually. I mean, if we sound like super polished and stuff like that, you know, well, we're humans. We we make mistakes too, and sometimes we just feel off. And we don't interact very well with one another. And we're like, yep. you know what? We should probably do that again. Yep. We do We do it at your expense, listeners. Because, I mean, honestly, and even with the topic that we're getting into, we're talking about cancel culture. But you'll understand, like, the last episode needed to be canceled with all aggressiveness <laughs> and, <laughs> and no remorse at all. We canceled ourselves. <laughs> Oh boy! Which it, you know, it's interesting though, because part of having the discussion is that it is best not to have a pre-discussion. Yeah. So it's funny whenever we invite people on the podcast, they'll want to start talking to us before we press record. And it's like, no, 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 uh-uh. <laughs> don't talk. Because if you do, when we try to talk about it, then it's going to get weird when we re-talk about things. Because I'm going to anticipate what you're going to say. Exactly. So you know, you're, so it's kind of weird because you got to have it. Be natural where you don't know where people are going, but sometimes it goes in a bad place. Doesn't doesn't work out. No, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like don't. So if you're listening and you're interested and you're like, oh, I want to be on an interview with with the AC podcast, we are not giving you questions ahead of time. It's not <laughs> happening. Don't ask for them. We love you. Appreciate you. <laughs> but uh, just to get us right into this topic, I think I think I would be remiss if I didn't start with um, we all saw. The Oscars, the or the Academy Awards. I really don't know which one it is, but what we do know is that a slap happened. And yeah. oh my word! Do you know what I was thinking myself, Troy? I was thinking, hey, maybe it's best that we are redoing this podcast because <laughs> like, there's always something new that you know in the news mm-hmm. about cancel culture, and we wanted to talk on that. So this is this is a this is like a gift. Yeah, yeah. Now um, I know what happened, sort of. I, I mean, I know that Will Smith you know, basically sucker punched Chris Rock. But I don't know the exact joke that Chris Rock told. And for okay. those listeners who may not be <laughs> familiar with what's going on, just give us a quick rundown, Troy. What happened there? Okay, so um, for the, the detailed ones, it was an open-handed smack. He did not close his fist. It was okay. more, which is al- honestly more disrespectful sometimes. <laughs> like, the, like I would rather get punched in the face on the street than someone feel the need to slap me. Like that would be bad. Um, but the joke he made, <laughs> the joke he made was about uh, he pointed to to Jada Pinkett. Now keep in mind they've had 
a banter going since 2016 when Chris Rock came at Jada Pinkett because she was boycotting the Academy Awards. And so that people are saying that that energy was kind of already in the air. But anyways, Chris Rock saw, saw Jada Pinkett and said, hey, Jada, good to see you. And I can't wait to see the sequel to G.I. Jane because the, the character for G.I. Jane was bald. But the reason right. Will Smith took issue with it and, and, and Jada did is because she uh, is struggling with alopecia. So it's causing her hair loss. And people were going back and forth like, oh, it's not a, it's not a terminal illness or anything of that nature. But the truth is it's, there, there could be a whole lot of self-consciousness there and this sort of thing. And whether people want to say that Will was actually okay with it or not, or point is he took offense, he got up. Like he gave him the full Men in Black trilogy smack across the face, <laughs> and it was you're killing me. <laughs> and it was it was unbelievable to see. Was it not uh, a little weird to you that he was laughing at the joke at first? He's laughing. He's la- then something something happened. And maybe mm-hmm. maybe he saw that his wife was not pleased with that joke. I feel yeah. like it was nervousness, honestly. Like I, 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 like I've seen, like I've seen people laugh before they then go and and, and take somebody out. Like I've I've seen it. Like even on the soccer field, yeah. like ah yeah okay, and then someone comes and swings. So I've seen that too. And I think part of it is just uh, like a, almost an automatic reaction, right? When you, you when you know, okay, this is supposed to be a joke. Well, this is the automatic reaction. At least you know I I'm on camera and everything so i should laugh like an almost a uh like a conditioned response to a joke and then you have a moment of okay what was just said right maybe that that's what it was i don't know but it it was kind of interesting because i've seen all these memes floating about about how will smith is laughing in one cut and the next guy like his face goes stone cold right so i'm like okay something happened here well it's interesting i was reading uh something by Bill Mayer, who was, you know, responding to this. And I got to just say right out the front, I I don't know a lot about Bill, nor do I read him a lot, but I thought what he said was interesting. He said it was, uh, it was sort of like cancel culture encapsulated because at first you saw he was laughing at the joke, right? This is what happens a lot with cancel stuff at first. Oh, it's funny. And then you look around, Oh wait, I'm supposed to be offended. And then there's this overreaction he um he was like the Twitter mob come alive. He says, "You think yeah. that's fair? You think that's a fair critique?" I definitely think that's a fair critique. It and even like you were saying, the responses, the way people looked at it. This is this was one of those moments where again, I'm glad that we're re-recording this because even cancel culture was confused as to what to do in this moment because you people, saw two things fighting. Had a, to delete a bunch of tweets. Is that what you're getting at? Well, no, not even that. That the fact that there were people arguing for a man protecting his wife, a man upholding a a black woman who has been the but, who has been the butt of jokes for no for no reason, and then there were people on the other side who were like, he should be canceled because of aggression. Jim Carrey came out and made a statement about the fact that saying he was disgusted and if it were him, he'd be suing Will Smith for two hundred million dollars. He said he was disgusted that the Academy. Uh, stood up and gave him a standing ovation when he won his award. The fact that he got to go and sit down after openly assaulting a man. So I, I don't know like that. What do you guys think about that? It, it it seemed like cancel culture didn't know what to do with it. Well, I agree. Cause I was reading afterwards that 
some people were had tweeted that they were for Will Smith, and now it, the culture, by and large, from everything I've been hearing on the radio, and even even I, you know, in my cul-de-sac, I was hearing kids even talk about it. It was <laughs> well, like it was quite a, quite funny, but you could tell that the the consensus is definitely uh, for Chris Rock. Yeah. So so now so apparently a bunch of people like brought their their tweets down that were for Will Smith. So it it. That's very much along that kind of cancel culture line of trying to take a temperature of where the culture's at and making sure you're on the right side of culture, if you will, on any given scenario or situation. I think that's the really key part about cancel culture, right? Because a lot of people who are sort of on that bandwagon, what they're concerned about is being on the right side of history or just being on the right side, period. Um, and, And so this, to me, seems... That it has more to do with belonging to the right group rather than actually trying to assess, okay, what just happened here and whether is this fair or not. Um, And another thing, too, that I find interesting is when you get into this kind of cancel culture mindset, there's just so much to cancel and not enough time. You know what I mean? And you could... (laughs) Well said. (laughs) You could cancel... um, you could cancel Chris Rock. You could cancel Will Smith. You could cancel, and you could cancel them for different reasons, right? And there's just so much canceling to do everywhere. Just not enough time. The irony with Chris Rock is that one of his last specials, people were trying to cancel him over. Do can comedians actually survive cancel culture? It doesn't seem like it. Well, did you hear so many people? Like this, like you, because some people might be like, "Well, why are we making so much of this?" Well, there's a lot of people that are making a lot of this because they're concerned that this sets a precedent that the next time, you know, that a lot of comedians, but other people, whoever takes a stage, has that in the back of their mind. You know, I don't want to get Will Smith, you know, yeah. up here, sort of idea. You know, because you're, you're, you know, I gotta say, kudos to Chris Rock for keeping his cool in a terrible situation where you just, he's focused and gets right back to doing what he's supposed to do. I mean, that would have been very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Extremely. Because what I've, what I've seen with comedians to your point is, is actually they're That's why they're doing closed doors. Now when they do their comedy tours, not only are you not allowed to bring any kind of recording device, you're not allowed to bring your phones or anything of that nature. Oh, they that's also, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And, and it's one of the reasons is because people will, People who are there to sabotage, uh, you know, a comedian's special or whatever, and oftentimes they're getting recorded by Netflix and stuff now as well. Someone will come there, they'll take a clip out of context, they'll send it out to the internet, and the next thing you know, someone's trying to cancel this person or their special's getting canceled because of the uproar and and all those sorts of things. I mean, David, Dave Chappelle, same thing happened with him how many months ago? They tried to cancel Dave Chappelle. And it's almost funny because it seems like comedians... Comedians nowadays are the one are the are the ones that they could make comments, they could make statements that no one else could make under the premise of comedy. And I think that's where sometimes this comes up with this topic is was Chris Rock just because Chris Rock is a comedian, does that make it okay? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if I think about, for example, you know, hair loss, I mean Indian. I see you looking at me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely, I got my eyes locked on the screen right where you are. Um, I mean, 
we're we're familiar with it, right? I mean, it's it's uh, hard enough for for some men. I mean, Andy and I have fully embraced it since. Yeah. Right. And and I just told myself sometimes there is no dignity in fighting a losing battle. So I'm just gonna embrace it and jumped right into it. Um I got a question. But I have to Did sorry. you consider a toupee at least one? <laughs> I, I think know. I I think I had a little too much sort of pride in myself to go with that. I'm just like, I'm just not going to because I've seen way too many like Japanese TV shows where they have this massive fan. And oh, you know, yeah, the toupee yeah, yeah. is kind of blowing away, <laughs> half blowing away. I've seen way too many of those to go <laughs> down that road. But right, I actually right. <clears throat> remembered this one young Chinese woman at a church that I used to attend. And she actually was suffering from alopecia. And and the impact that it had, had on her was significant, right? Because especially, you know, it's one thing for guys to go through it. It's a totally different thing for women to go through it, mm-hmm. I think. Like, I had to think to myself, I'm like, what if my girl started losing hair like that? Would I want somebody to make fun of her for it, right? Would I want yeah. to be... Now, it's one thing if she can take it, right? Well, th- but that's... if she, if I know she's struggling with it, am I going to be okay with it? So I think there is a... Obviously, there is a line to, you know, healthy comedy... This is an important point that uh, yeah. you're bringing up, Steve, because this is this is one of those things where as a human being in, you know, relationship with another human being trying to appreciate their feelings. So, like, for me, I, I learned early on that I was going to need to learn to laugh about my baldness or I was going to be offended a lot mm-hmm. because people like taking shots at bald people. I mean, even my own kids. You know, and and I remember, you know, when my kids are younger going, Dad, why are you bald? You know, and and then I, I would turn things into a joke. But it was just very interesting that when I was able to show that I was I was OK with my baldness and I was OK with, you know, uh, laughing about it. Actually, it's weird because it puts other people at ease kind of thing. People are kind of weird mm-hmm. like that, yeah, you know, but. But I have to be sensitive, like you're saying, Steve, I got to be sensitive that not everybody's at that place with that, with whatever they're dealing with sort of thing, that they can they can laugh about it sort of thing, not take themselves too seriously. And that, that takes judgment, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, having, having said that, though, I think one of the concerns with this sort of a thing is th- there is this background, right, that comedy is kind of being jettisoned against the context of cancel culture and political correctness. Comedians don't feel free to be able to just say whatever they want to. I mean, I, yes, there is a kind of a, there should be a boundary in a sense, right? There, the, the, With comedy, there shouldn't be the sort of thing where you're just constantly making fun of people. Um, but, but I think but that's not quite right. At the Steve. same time. Sorry. I think that's not quite right, though. Like, tell me your thoughts on this, though. It seems as though culturally there are some things, such as Christianity, mm-hmm. that you can feel free to say whatever you want. Like, mm-hmm. you you can take whatever, you know, cheap shot you want at Christianity by and large. But there mm-hmm. are the, these other issues where it's like culturally – those are those are the sensitive spots. Those are the hot the where the cancel culture is going to get evoked. It's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There is there is a certain 
unofficial list of things, right? That's too <laughs> sensitive for jokes, right? right. Um, unless, you know, people who belong to that particular group make fun of themselves. Like, you, know, you can think of like Muslims or people in the LGBTQ community or people who are disabled. For example, when I was watching Britain's Got Talent that one time, this young man came up. Actually, I don't know that he was young. Uh, it was kind of hard to judge, but he was making fun of himself. And, and he, he came out, like, he, obviously, he, I think he had some kind of cerebral palsy or something like that. And when he came out, he legit came out with a shirt that said, I'm in it for the free parking. And he'd have the <laughs> uh, handicapped parking sign there. And, and, but, but here was the thing, right? Everybody loved him because he was so comfortable with himself and he was constantly making fun of himself. So I think there's a difference between you making fun of yourself versus somebody else making fun of you. Um, so I wonder if there is a fine line that you need to tread carefully. To your point, then, I think it, it's almost as if cancel culture, one of the reasons it, be, it runs so right is because it, it comes from a lack of self-awareness to begin with. If if a person can't isn't isn't kind of like if a person isn't comfortable in their their own skin, um, or can't exactly read the room like on both on both both sides, or you can't read the room, then that's where I find people either say something that everyone's like, dude, you you can't say that, or a person hasn't isn't isn't at a place where. Maybe they've been able to settle in their own heart that this is kind of this is kind of what it is. And I found, I mean, I, I, we're we're on the topic of comedy, but it's really only because it's it's a perfect example right now. It's kind of a perfect mm -hmm. storm. But I think about certain topics within comedy. That's the only way a person can can have some light in you know certain topics, mm -hmm. right? Like me making a joke about adoption, those sorts of things. It's yeah, if you want to go super deep, I'm, I'm sure some people are deeply rooted and deeply in pain. But there is something to be said about a level of self-awareness in knowing that not everyone else is going to understand your plight. Not everyone else is going to understand your scenario or point of view. So when you're able to m make light a very serious situation, it does it does make people comfortable and it does invite room for a greater conversation. I think that this moment for will if if the comment was he was trying to stand up for his wife's integrity i would have loved to seen him got up on stage and grab the mic from chris who was clearly not expecting him to hit him and taken that moment to honor his wife to to champion her to maybe tell people a little bit about alopecia and her insecurity but that didn't happen and now he's known for something completely different i don't want to stay too long on the will smith mm -hmm. thing but Maybe even at the appropriate time, maybe when he got an award the or award something speech, like that yeah. to respond to it. Because I do get concerned with this idea that somebody thinks that they, you know, because they don't like a joke or something, that they have the authority to go up on stage and grab a mic from somebody, right? Right. So, but if we think about cancel culture, the thing that I, I see being juggled and that people wrestle with is this difference between accountability and censorship and punishment these mm. these three things seem to really get juggled all in together because you can even see this with this most current situation with smith where they're like okay you know what is it is it going to be accountability is it going to be censorship or is it going to be punishment and right now the academy awards they're deciding you know yeah 
what what it's going to be currently when this podcast is being recorded. We don't know. Uh, but that's how culture seems to operate with these sorts of things. Because as I've spoken at different universities, I, I one time had a student, you know, push back as I was challenging cancel culture. And, you know, and he was asking, well, are we supposed to platform these things? Are we supposed to give, you know, bad ideas or dangerous ideas, you know, a platform? But of course, the challenge is always, well, who decides what gets platformed mm -hmm. and what doesn't? Who decides what jokes are inappropriate and which ones right. aren't sort of thing? It it it's messy. It's challenging. It's not like it's clear cut. Mm -hmm. I think there is something to be said about, because we, we raised this question last week when we were recording this for the first time, right? And I've had a bit more time to think about it since I'm kind of, I find myself kind of still coming to this place where, well, what is the platform for, right? So there, there are those kinds of platforms where it's just all about promoting an idea, um, but then there are the kinds of platforms where you're actually testing those ideas, right? So say at a university, if there is a, a dialogue going on, and one one concern that I have with cancel culture as we see it today is, you know, if you don't challenge somebody's ideas and you try to just cancel him or her on the basis of that idea, you really, it, it's counterproductive, yeah. Right. That that idea is going to it's not it's not refuted. It's not gonna go anywhere. It's just gonna maybe go underground and it's going to maybe fester. But if you really want to challenge somebody's ideas, don't cancel the person, challenge the ideas and show why it's false. Right. So let's take, for example, white supremacy. Um you if you don't bring that out into the open, think of it like um like I think Martin Luther King Jr. put it this way, right? That when, when there is something evil or wrong, you bring it out into the light of public opinion, right? Just as when you have a sore, when you have a boil, you know, that's, you, you want the medicine of light and fresh air kind of a thing. And I think that's going to be more effective than just canceling the person. I hear you, but I feel like that that's coming from, obviously it's coming from a very, it's a, a Christian perspective where we can separate an idea from a person but there's a lot of people who their 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 beliefs are who they are and so they they can't separate it and if you're canceling my the my perception of something my idea of something then you're you're ultimately canceling me like i get what you're saying but a lot of people it's mm -hmm. not that way like i believe this and this is who because this is who i am i am this and that gets into talking about identity on a you know we've been going through yeah. that yeah yeah, Troy and I have been working on an identity series, and that, and I think that is the the challenge of our culture right now. Troy, is we have a culture that is in an identity crisis, and out of that identity and identity crisis is a cancel culture that that comes out of that because emotions do run high. Yeah, when ideas have been equated with identity. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and and yeah, I, I think. I'm glad you brought that up, Troy, because this is something I've been kind of thinking on for the last little while. I think I've said this before on the podcast too, but I think our culture has largely bought into the existentialist philosophy that actually tells you, you know, you kind of define yourself, right? Yeah. How do you do that? Well, you define yourself by what you do, what you believe, mm -hmm. what you wear, the kinds of companies you support. You know, you're kind of 
the, the idea of existentialism is that you're almost building yourself, right? Branded. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Check out our new series. <laughs> Shameless plug. Enter well commercial played. right here. Carry on, Steve. <laughs> yeah, no. That, that, so I think that's why in our culture, you know, we, we have this fusion of who you are with what you believe or what you do. Yeah. So it's impossible to, say, critique, say, the homosexual behavior and not come off homophobic. And it's impossible to criticize Islam without coming off uh, an Islamophobe. You know yeah. what I mean? It, it, so we, there's yeah. that connection between the person and the person's ideas. And I think we, we need to separate those. Well, that's, well, that's why this, love the sin or hate the sin doesn't work. It, like, it doesn't work for, for people. Like, it, it may sound great our in our, yeah, it may sound great in our Christian culture. If I say that to someone else, oh, hey, man, I, I, I love, I love you. I just don't love what you do. Someone's like, thank, thank you. That sounds super shallow. <laughs> well, well, they can't, they don't, they don't see the distinction for sure. And this mm -hmm. is where things run, run into, uh, problems with the with the way our political system has been created. It was it's interesting. I was reading uh, a news article recently by the Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, and and he just recently was speaking out against cancel culture and the lack of civil debate, and mm. saying that that the repercussions of this will will be you know considerable. That. Uh, he said, by, by doing this, you continue to chip away at the respect of the institutions that the next generation is going to need if they're going to have a civil society. And, and I think about our, here in Canada, our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And if you haven't read that document, I would encourage you to read that document. And one of the things it begins with is saying that you have the right to an opinion and to express that opinion. Yep. I think, I think that's, that's kind of shocking. To a lot of people, yeah, you know that we have a document that says you can actually have an opinion and you can, you can share that opinion. Yeah, where cancel culture says, well, you you can have the right opinion. Yeah, it it brings up this thing of who who sets the standard, and I mean we're all gonna say, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I can have an opinion, but okay, but at what point is your opinion wrong? You know, because if we're we're all coming from a different angle of ethics who, who draws the line where do where do we draw the line and i think if we're completely honest we don't because we also we all violate our own code of ethics our own faith our own beliefs all the time and so maybe this isn't where we're trying to go necessarily but like this is that whole thing of like can't can you cancel cancel culture is it possible <laughs> yeah well, I think I think that's what Thomas is ultimately getting at is that a civil society is going to need to be able to have these sorts of discussions without them getting canceled. Like at some level, you, we've got to talk through these things. Yeah, I, and one thing that our good friend Andy Bannister said that just kind of really stuck with me is people are equal, ideas are not, right? Um, yeah. But I think in a lot of ways, because we're tightly connecting somebody's ideas to the person, it comes to the point where now we have a society of, you know, some people are more equal than others kind of a thing. If you hold the right opinion, then you can express it. And I see this very clearly in the, you know, for example, the abortion debate. 
right? And in that debate, often the pro-choice side will say, no uterus, no opinion. And then the same people will turn around and say, where are all the men? Why are they not speaking up for women's rights? I'm just like, hang on a second. What do you mean by that? Well, stand up for women's rights. And, and that's code on their side. That's the code for, you know, you, you need to support abortion access. I'm just like, okay, so what you're telling me is you no uterus, no opinion. But when you have the right opinion, you are actually required to say it. You're actually required to. Yeah. And so then, the, of course, you know, that, that's the question, right? Just as you were saying earlier, Andy, okay, who gets to decide, you know, who gets to be platformed or not? You know, this is the same thing, right? Who gets to decide? I find that in the whole, this whole cancel culture debate, there is a, a lot of kind of, it really centers around the question of authority. Like who gets to say, right? Yeah. Who gets to decide? If everything is just relative, then at some point it's going to come down to power and coercion. And, yeah. you know, who gets, you know, might, might makes right, whatever that might, might look like. Is it legal might? Um, that seems to be what people are leaning on a lot these days. Let, let's talk about the dark side of cancel culture that I think is one of the more dangerous and frustrating parts about cancel culture. And it, it starts to lean in the direction of where you're, where you're going here, Steve, with having the right opinion and needing to express that opinion. But if you make a mistake, it's that, that balance between accountability, censorship, and punishment that you don't get it right. So you got to get it right. But if you don't get it right, well, then you're going to be punished for that. Yeah. And, and this is the part about cancel culture that really concerns me is there is this complete lack of forgiveness and grace. And our culture has progressively become more and more of a, a shame-based culture. In, in a lot of ways— Cancel culture, it's just really a secular Puritanism. Can you explain that? Are you are you thinking like uh, the Scarlet Letter sort of concept, Steve? Uh, I, I, I'm not familiar with Scarlet Letters, but I was just thinking, I mean, when you look at the kind of zeal, you know, for this sort of ideological purity, right? It's just, it, they seem very religious to me. It's just a secular religion, right? right? It's a secular Puritanism right. where you have to have the right... I mean, I, I've studied the lives of Puritans and the way we use the word Puritanism. It's not fair. I understand it. I'm using that in that colloquial sense. You know, it's secular Puritanism where you have to have the right opinion. You have to have... And there is really no... I, I think this is key, I think, and we need to talk about this at some point, is that there's no room for forgiveness in cancel culture, right? It's about punishment. See, I was going to say, I was going to say one of the reasons I find is, and I, be, and I agree with you, I, I believe it's, it just goes to show us the world doesn't, the world has a lack of hope in regards to believing that there's something, that there's some reason for restoration, right? If you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't believe in what what he did on the cross, his resurrection, if you don't believe that he's trying to restore us to a greater glory and that we're here for a relationship with him, then the world has absolutely no reason to see people restored. You know, for us, it's like, oh, I want to see Will heal. I want to see Jada heal. I want to see Chris heal. I want to see all these people heal because that's who God is. I want because then they can walk in the fullness of who God called them to be. 
You know, that's what I desire. But the world doesn't have that hope. So I think that's where cancel culture comes in. It's almost this, it's almost like a frustration, which is like, well, we, this is, this is our lot. So just, I guess there goes another one. Get rid of them. Bring in the next one. There is no way forward for forgiveness and reconciliation. So it becomes this perpetual punishment. Yeah. Now, Steve, that's why I was referencing the the book, The Scarlet Letter, which is set in uh, Puritan, Massachusetts. Mm. Uh, it's set in the year 1642, is written in 1850. But it's basically this lady who gets caught in adultery and has to wear a, a scarlet or red A mm. on her person, representing herself as an adulteress, right? And it's it's this shame that she takes with us now, with her. Now, back then, it was you know, done with, you know, you got to wear this, this A, but for us, I mean, it's, we got this social media way of, you know, putting in whatever, you know, label on you that becomes this weight of shame. That's interesting to see how, you know, how people will cancel each other. Let me just give you two quick examples of, of how this is done. We could give many, but I think these are interesting. Uh, when Alex Trebek, the host of Jeopardy, had to step down, um, maybe some of you guys remember this, that Mike Richards was going to take his place. Mm. However, Richards had to, to, to step down from taking his place because of racist comments that he made in a podcast in 2013 and 14. So what, <clears throat> what people will do, of course, is they'll, if they want to cancel you, they'll scrub your past, right, and look for any anything that you've any any error that you have made which is always interesting right because anachronistic because it doesn't matter whether or not maybe that was fine to say back then they will always you know judge it according to what is acceptable right now sort of sort of idea which i've always found fascinating or if you've been corrected since then like why would you openly say oh by the way you might find something but i've been corrected since <laughs> like yeah, or or I've apologized for it or whatever, but apologies are not accepted nope. in cancel culture. You said this, and remember, back to what you're saying, uh, Troy, it's that identity thing. Well, you said that, so and you believe that, and so that's who you are then. And you you are you, that becomes equated with your identity, and you can't escape that now. And so you must be punished because you're that person. Now, to take this just one step further— uh, is the Connor Daly, uh, who was canceled from his, uh, he's a race car driver, was, was canceled with his sponsorship from Lily Diabetes. And this is, this is an extreme example, but this is a real example where he was canceled not for anything that he said, but for what his father said in the 1980s in an, uh, on a radio interview. Um, he used a derogatory term for African-Americans and Although his father apologized for what he said, and and Connor, of course, like doesn't matter. Sins of doesn't, the father. That that I think is so fascinating that the the sins of the father get you know attributed to the son sort of idea, and now it's not just you know your dad, your father's identity becomes your identity. The mistake, uh, something that they said that is now uh, deemed inappropriate becomes your identity. Yeah, I would. Oh my gosh, like it's the inconsistencies for me. Like we could go back and forth and I I under I do understand the basic concept of cancel culture, but you don't have to scratch your head that deeply to look at how inconsistent it is because it's based off of shock and awe response. 
It's not a sound thought process that's happening. And then when we do see a sound thought process, we don't talk about that enough. But man, comedians are, are in the news again. You know, it's like Dave, Dave, the Dave Chappelle and Netflix scenario. Dave Chappelle brought up a hot button statement and it got followed up and his point was proved. They wanted him canceled. Netflix did the right thing, did their due diligence, not only compared that scenario, people were saying Dave Chappelle's creating bigots. Well, the guy from Netflix said, well, then maybe I should pull off all the shows on on Netflix that someone dies or there's a killer or all the documentaries about a serial killer because we're obviously going to be, if we're just as prone to breeding bigots because of Dave Chappelle's comedy special, then we're just as prone to creating a bunch of murderers. But you wouldn't ask me to do that, would you? You're fine with all of that. But just because this is an itch that you didn't want to scratch, all of a sudden we have an issue with it. But And then we just kind of moved on. And for me, I was like, this is the way you have to do these things. This is the way you, I, I don't even want to say combat, but this is the way you challenge the perceptions of cancel culture as you have to point out the inconsistency. If we're going to be consistent here, we have to be consistent there. Yeah, speaking of inconsistency too, Troy, um, just as, you know, Andy, you were kind of reading about what this guy, how this guy got canceled on the basis of what his father said, I just couldn't help but recognize how that is exactly the kind of thing that these people would want to cancel, right? So think about racism, for example. Right. Let's say Troy, you walk into Walmart and this security guard starts following you around for no apparent reason, other than the fact that you've got darker skin. Which is happening. Right? What happened? <laughs> well, why is that wrong? <laughs> well, why is that wrong? It's because you're taking some group attribute, right, and you're just applying it to the individual, whether that individual is like it's it's not on the the basis of that individual's character or anything. You just lump that person in with the rest of the group, right? How is this any different what this guy had to go through, right? When he got canceled on the basis of what his father said, well, it, it, it this is the kind of ilk, right? So we're going to, you're part of that ilk and we're going to cancel you, right? And so talk about inconsistency there. I think cancel culture, if we're just going to be, if, it, if people were completely honest, is financially driven. Honestly, I believe that certain people want a demographic to come over to whatever their product is and look at us. Look what we did for the black community. Look at what we did for the LGBTQ community. We don't stand for that over here. And so now anyone from that community who's okay with wearing a rainbow or is part of a Black Lives Matter protest, you get 20% off your next purchase. You know, like mm. I've literally, I have literally seen it. Now, I don't think... Maybe that's not always it, but I think in a lot of ways it's it's a lot more selfish than we we really than we really think it is, because there was no reason to take Aunt Jemima off the bottle. No reason. <laughs> I'm still I'm still upset. <laughs> Troy's still sore about that one. I I agree with you, Troy. I really do because I think oftentimes what we're seeing and you know push back on this if you don't agree, but it seems to me from what I see from the sidelines that. People like Dave Chappelle are not getting canceled, not so much because um, Netflix all of a sudden has a backbone, but because they've gotten into an agreement with Dave Chappelle, or you see this with Joe Rogan, 
where they're like, hey, this is going to cost you a lot of money to break your contract with me because they're preemptive yep. of of cancel culture. And so, so you've got, you know, these different companies that actually aren't going to break relationships with these people that are in the crosshairs of cancel culture because there's just too much money to lose. So now, now all of a sudden they found their backbone. Yeah. Uh, that, at least that's how, that's how I, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm I, seeing. I, but I think I you're right about the money thing. I completely yeah. agree. Just real quick, Steve. I just, I, it makes me wonder if there are cancel culture contracts where people like Dave Chappelle and Joe Rogan say, you know what I do. You know, I push hot button topics. I have this joke. I have this episode. I have this comment. And I want you to sign on this dotted line because you know people are going to be upset that you will back me and put it on the put it. Maybe I got to put some money down. I would not be shocked if that's that's already happening. You know, it's interesting. A lot of the times people who are kind of jaded about capitalism and free market, right? They will look at a company, any big corporation and say their interest is the bottom line, right? And if that's the case, when, you know, don't be surprised when these companies come out with some kind of a, you know, oh, we're going to stand up for this group or that group. Do you think anything has really changed, right? Where, where Did they all of a sudden change their MO? You know, like it, it's, if you're jaded about cor big corporations, don't just kind of give them a pass simply because they are they seem to be standing up for a cause that you are for. Uh, just quickly here, Steve, mm -hmm. I want to talk about the irony of this that's going on currently. Maybe you've heard about how Disney's in the crosshairs currently of cross of cancel culture uh, because the LGBTQ community didn't didn't like that Disney didn't speak out against a new bill in Florida. And what was interesting is that. Disney did speak out against it, but they didn't like that Disney didn't do it fast enough. And so now, not only do you have to say the right thing, but you have to do it within the timeline that, you know, culture seems, you know, to, to like or whatever. But here's where things get weird to me, and I think just ironic, that people need to, to see what's going on out there uh, and the, what corporations are doing and the, the sorts of nonsense that's happening. So just, just take a quick look through Fox News and see how Fox News has been tearing into Disney with regards to this. And, and to me, I just think it's so weird, because do I think what Disney's doing is ridiculous? Of course I do. But what I also think is ridiculous is that Disney owns Fox. Just let that one sit on you for a second. <laughs> Disney owns Fox, and Fox then is... So Fox has to tow their their line as an organization because they're this kind of an organization, yeah. so they have to tear into Disney. And Disney's now this kind of organization, so they have to, you know, line up with the LGBTQ, you know, community. And they they have created an absolute disaster where they've got to cancel themselves. <laughs> that is, the, it's ridiculous. That is the would be the weirdest barbecue ever with those CEOs. Like, <laughs> oh, here comes Fox. Come on, man. Hey, you, hey, come on, man. You know I had to do it. I just, but we literally, I drove you here. Like, you, why, why? That's just so, it's so weird. Like, that's, it makes no yeah. sense. You know, um, I have a question for you guys, though, because earlier, 
we were talking about how cancel culture seems to be a lot more about like punishment. There's no restoration. There's no room for forgiveness and oh. those kinds of things. What do you think is driving that? Like, let, let's say, you know, you are part of this kind of cancel culture, this, you know, really woke mob or whatever you want to, however you want to, you know, name them. But when you are picking on somebody on the basis of, basis of something that that person said that's offensive or some idea that this person holds that's offensive and you want to ruin that person's life, what's driving that? Why, why, what would be the personal motivator? I think it's self-preservation. Like, I think everybody wants to have a legend, you know, or a legacy. Like, what did you fight for? What did you stand for in your life? I, you know, I, and I think some people, they wrestle with, I mean, we're, you're going to hear this a lot from us, but it's just everything is rooted in this. People wrestle with identity. They, people are not comfortable in their own skin. So they jump on things that they see others are passionate about. Like, I think a lot of people, they're, they're struggling for value and are not able to appreciate it in the simple day-to-day -day things. That they jump, like you said, like it's a mob mentality. Uh, I think I think you're right, Troy. That identity is core to this. I'm reminded of the story of Les Mis by Hugo, and I, I find it fascinating. Again, by the way, just the the irony in our culture that we have a culture that celebrates that that novel, celebrates that story of Les Mis, you know, and condemns Inspector Jarvez. You know, and and looks at you know Jean Valjean as this this hero figure, but yet our culture is Inspector Jarvez, right? Mm. That that reduces people to you know what they've done is their identity. So once a criminal, always a criminal, and never lets it go. And it's this shame that just hovers over the story that Jean Valjean's trying to get out of you know, that shame, but there's just no forgiveness yeah. in shame because it's always about your identity needs to be punished because that's who you are yeah. and there's no second chances. And so for me, I think this is a really important point to come to when we talk about cancel culture, especially given how, you know, dark a topic this can be, that there is there is light in in Jesus in that Jesus is calling us to find our identity in him. Yeah. That that we take on his his righteousness and when we take on Jesus's identity, it is an identity not just of righteousness, it's an identity of forgiveness. It's an identity of humility. It's an identity that says, I want to see Will Smith reconciled with Chris Rock. I I want to see him seek forgiveness. I want to I want to see that relationship restored instead of a culture that says, I want to see that guy burned down, right? I want to see him never make a movie again and yeah. blah blah blah. Right? That is not a Christian mentality. A Christian mentality is one that is constantly brought back to this idea of how do we reconcile? How do we see the Jean Valjeans of the world brought out of an identity into a new identity in Christ that which is exactly what that story's about, and how he flourishes within that forgiveness that he finds in faith. Yeah, you know, I, I'm so glad you brought that up. Because <clears throat> interestingly, when, when you look at 
Inspector Javert, what breaks him is forgiveness, right? Because he is now in the place where he's a, I mean, Jean Valjean could shoot him. But instead, I mean, and, and Jean Valjean had every reason to, right? Because this guy dogged him all his life and he just won't Inspector let Inspector Jarvez had become worse than the criminal. Right. He was worse. And now you have this criminal, right, who's become better than the police officer. But mm-hmm. is, is, that what you're, is that what you're getting out there, no, Steve? No, I, I think, no, I'm, I'm actually thinking about how in that moment... Jean Valjean actually forgives him and lets him go. And that forgiveness that Javert received, he can't process this, right? That's the reason he throws himself off this bridge and kills himself. Because I'm just yeah. like, and obviously, like, I don't want the Javerts of this world to throw themselves off the bridge and kill themselves. But it was interesting right. that, that it was forgiveness that just didn't fit into the paradigm and this was a moment where Javert actually had to do this paradigm shift or perish. And unfortunately, in his case, he perished. And so I, I think in this kind of a, you know, cancel culture that we're living in, I wonder, you know, what, what does forgiveness say to people who are... Because one of the reasons I actually... The reason I asked that question, what is driving a person to cancel somebody like ruin that person's life like i sometimes wondered if it's because we have this kind of religious conscience that just needs to be eased because we somehow need to prove ourselves to be righteous virtuous and Mm. you know we're on the right side of history and somehow we need to appease that conscience so i wonder if that's part of the reason we're going and if that's the case i i think there is you you need to encounter forgiveness you don't need to do this on your own. In fact, you can't. And the more you try to do it on your own, the more destruction you're going to cause. And what you need to do is humble yourself and experience forgiveness. That's that's really well said. It's it's interesting how you guys were bringing up Les Mis because it made me think about how many movies I've seen where the 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 bad guy or the guy who went wrong, they love in movies to create this restorative story like or at least try that like there's so many movies where at the end the bad guy is actually not so bad and it's this moment of like it's often the bad guy is about to hang off the cliff and i have every reason to let you go but the hero says i can't do it man i can't do it and he pulls him up and that forgiveness that moment even though he's like, just let me die. Just let me drop. Just let me fall. And it's like this heroic moment where it's no. And picking them up off the ledge and not letting them fall, even though they somewhat deserve it. It's like, it's like culture wants restoration. They really, really do. Because then you sometimes see in other movies where that moment happens, they help them up off the ledge and then the bad guy shoots them or pushes them down. There's this wrestle between we want that, but can people really change? And I think that's the fear. It's this self-preservation where if I don't cancel them, they're going to hurt me again. If I don't cut them off, they're going to hurt me again. And I, and I really believe that our culture is so gripped by fear. Maybe, like, honestly, maybe that is the root of cancel culture. It's ultimately fear. If I forgive them, am I just giving room for other people to abuse me? Am I giving them a pass? Maybe, I, I don't know. What are, you, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Because I think when we start talking about the church, 
and you know the all these leaders, the the, the hill songs, the the pastors that are coming out in the news with scandals and things like that. I believe that in a lot of ways there is a fear that if we forgive them, if we see them restored, then they're going to hurt somebody again. So I'd rather not go through the pain and the work. You know, Troy, you and I have been talking a lot about this because right now, you know, there's been a number of different scandals that have come out within the church. And and if we're not careful as a church, we can buy into cancel culture. Yeah. Uh, we can buy into this idea that, you know, that the right thing to do is to shame these people. And I, I do think, though, on the one hand, we need to be careful what we're talking about here is not we're not talking about restoring somebody to leadership, no. potentially, no. you know, May, that that's another that's a different that's a different question as far as I'm concerned. We're yeah. dealing with identity here, yeah. where we're talking about restoring relationship. Yes, that that you know because a pastor has made a mistake, I don't want to see them burn. Like I don't want to see their lives destroyed. I I, I want to see their family healed. I want to see their marriage yes. healed. I want to see their church healed. I want to see reconciliation. I think Christians should always have reconciliation in our crosshairs whatever we're doing like is what i'm doing leading to reconciliation yeah. because i am committed to relationships my relationship with god my relationship with people and so when we see these leaders fail and i mean i could i could name off so many sadly right now it just weighs on my heart yeah i i'm i'm saddened that they've failed but i don't want to punish them i want to pray for and seek and see restoration come forgiveness come uh but here but that's always challenging right because you that that's only so much our doing that individual needs that and one of the sad things that we see in a lot of christian leadership failures is that they got caught yeah right yeah it's not like they they came clean and said man my conscience is really convicting me on this it's like no they got caught and same, same thing with david right king david it's not like he came clean. Oh man, I made these mistakes. You know, it's like, no, you got caught. I want to. I want to pose you know? a question as we're talking about just Christian leaders, real quick. I know for a lot of people, the question always comes up. So, for example, the Hillsong, the the Ravi. They're they they for years they have made Christian content, right? And you find out about these scandals, you find about all these things, and the question always comes up: Do we throw away their material? Do we stop singing Hillsong on Sunday? You know, the question is, well, if, is the foundation true? All the things that Ravi said, some of the things he said transformed my life. So now I do I stop reading his books? Do I, do I have to now deconstruct? Because maybe the things that changed my life weren't healthy. You know, what, what would you guys say to that? Because I know that it's come up. You know, we actually covered that uh, when we were talking about the whole Ravi scandal. That was precisely something I was struggling with because Ravi's ministry had an amazing impact. I mean, the reason I'm working with you guys, you know, at Apologetics Canada, it, it's because of Ravi's ministry, right? So my whole professional life right now, is, I owe it to Ravi's ministry. And so then to see the scandal, I mean, he died twice for me. Um, so the question was raised, now, what do I do with all the, you know, books that I have of him, some people uh, have chosen to just ditch the books, burn them, or whatever it is that they do. And I totally get it. For me, what I found is, well, I, I decided to keep them. Because now every time, if I crack open that book that was written by Ravi or whatever, 
I will always remember what he's done. And to me, I, I, I thought to myself, that's punishment enough for him from me. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you know, what's funny is I, I just don't. I just don't open up the book. Sometimes it's just too painful when I see that book. And so in effect, it's, you know, that book has been ditched for me. Uh, but another thing that I have to remind myself is, and I think just kind of tie it back to what we were talking about earlier. I am reminded of the story that Jesus told, or rather that story of Jesus when he is anointed by this adulterous woman. He's at Simon the Pharisee's house. And people are kind of judging her, and he asks the question, right? Jesus asks the question to Simon, like, okay, there was this guy who owed five million bucks, and there was this other guy who owed like 50 bucks. Both of their debts were canceled. Who do you think would love the creditor more who canceled their debts? You know, and Simon says, well, I guess the one who's been forgiven the greater debt. And it's like, yep, that's right. Right. So sometimes when we have a hard time kind of seeking reconciliation for people who have failed, I wonder if it's because we haven't countenanced, you know, God's reconciliation with us enough. We need to sit with the fact that we have been forgiven and what does that mean? Right. Yeah. And when we truly perceive it and and just kind of sense this kind of depth of God's forgiveness of us, I think we'd be more willing to extend that, extend the same thing to other people around us, including leaders who have failed. I think that's a really good point, Steve. There can be a hypocrisy there where we think, oh, I've got it all together, or I haven't needed forgiveness, right? So what, you know, and you see Jesus talk a lot about this, that, you know, that you've received forgiveness, then there should be forgiveness displayed in your life. Because if there's not just, you know, forgiveness displayed in your life, then I'm not sure that you, in fact, have embraced forgiveness. Now, one thing, Troy, for me, just quickly, as I've thought through this, and this is something you and I brought up at the Leadership Summit that we recently did, and that is, is that we should be pointing people to Jesus. And I think one of the problems we have in a celebrity culture is there's a whole lot of pointing people to ourselves. Yeah. And so when they do fail, well, yeah, you you, you probably aren't going to go read that book anymore because they were just pointing you to themselves, potentially. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have one person in mind here, but, but that a lot of that happens. Yeah. Now, if somebody's pointing you to Jesus, though, well, then our identity is, is in the right place, right? It's Jesus that we're, that we're seeking. And then maybe listeners, you need to give this one some thought, but if, when you found out about something like Ravi, or maybe it's your favorite worship leader or whoever it might be, your favorite author or pastor, and they've they've failed, and now all of a sudden you're not sure if you want to be a Christian anymore, well, you've got to ask yourself, what was that What was that faith founded on to begin with? Right. Was it founded on that worship leader, that pastor, that, you know, best-selling author, or was it founded on Jesus? Because... Jesus told you people are gonna people are gonna let you down. It's it's not people that's the rock that you're building the foundation of your life on. It's Jesus. Yeah, he's he's the foundation. So so I guess Troy, what I'm trying to say is, is when I'm evaluating resources and stuff, I'm I'm still evaluating whether or not they're pointing me to Jesus. Yeah, sort of sort of idea. Yeah, that's really well said from both of you. That's something that even in the, even in the music world, um, you know, different singers and things like that that have fallen from 
platform, falling from grace, whatever the term is, disqualify themselves. I, I'm always reminded and I rest in the fact that God's word does not return void. And so mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is, if the word of God went forth, the Holy Spirit is the one who intercepts it anyway and makes sure that it does what it was intended to do, even when it has come from a corrupted mouth. And that is such an encouragement. pointing to the source of life. Exactly. And that is such an encouragement to me, and I hope that's an encouragement to our listeners as we, you know, we could really carry on with the topic of cancel culture, and we will be talking about this for a very long time. Uh, Andy had pointed out the last time we spoke that cancel culture, even as just a, a phrase, is relatively new, but we are we are in the mud of it. We are in the thick of it. And so as as believers, we have to be exercising compassion, like exercising compassion and exercising forgiveness on a whole other level. Maybe you're a social media influencer. You need to exercise forgiveness because the world will always lean to canceling people because they don't have the same hope of glory that you have. The apologetics mandate is always to have an answer for the hope that is within you. And so people need that now. People in your community, you have no idea what they might have gone through in feeling like they hurt someone in their family and maybe their family has excommunicated them. We need to model forgiveness. And and it, it starts with the church. Whether cancel culture started with us or not, it needs to end with the church, ultimately because it ends with Jesus. Yeah. On that on that note, Troy, it reminds me of Jesus's words that we are the the light of the world. And in a world that has been darkened by shame and unforgiveness, you know, I pray that we would be that light of grace and forgiveness and reconciliation and ultimately hope. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning into the AC podcast. Uh, the AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada. You know what to do. You know how to reach out to us. We're on social media. You can send us an email if you'd like to reach out at info at apologeticscanada.com. Uh, if you're listening to this, we have actually concluded our most recent ACLE and our first ever Leadership Summit. So on behalf of all of us at AC, we want to thank you so much for joining us at both events. It was great to hang out with you. It was great to converse and interact. So stay tuned with all the things we got going on. We have a lot more coming up in AC. And if Apologetics Canada has blessed you in any way, shape, or form, would you consider partnering with us? We are a nonprofit, and so it's donors like yourself, people partnering with us, that allow us to continue doing what we're doing. We want to continue giving good reasons for people to hope in Jesus, and that is only made possible by your support. Until next time, love God, love people. Bye for now.